Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. If you're a medical device professional, what does your EQMS, what's it doing for you? If it's paper-based, I can tell you what it's not doing, and that's helping you accelerate the delivery of your life-changing medical devices to patients who need them most. Paper-based quality management system sounds almost like an oxymoron. How is your QA team going to achieve true quality if they're still chasing engineers for signatures or searching for the needle in a stack of papers? Greenlight Guru is the only quality product development platform designed to support medical device companies throughout their commercialization journey. That's because we're from the medical device industry ourselves. If you're looking to deliver high-quality, life-saving devices to market on an average of three times faster, contact Greenlight Guru today to start the conversation. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Etienne Nichols, and I am the host of today's episode. In today's episode, I'd like to introduce you to one of our Nuru gurus. I used to call them Nurus, but I'm not sure I'm allowed to anymore. Brittany is a medical device guru here at Greenlight Guru. Our medical device gurus are part of what we call our Guru Edge. As a medical device guru, she helps guide companies through the various quality and regulatory requirements and challenges that are unique to medtech professionals. She loves UDI implementation, EUMDR, and other things associated that you might not typically think are enjoyable subjects, but she just really gets a kick out of reading the actual regulations, which is one of the things we love about Brittany and one of the reasons we are glad to have her on our team. She is not to be confused with the other Brittany on our medical device guru team. We have two, so it can be confusing, but this is not a rerun that you're listening to. Hope you enjoy this episode with Brittany Smith. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Today with me is Brittany Smith, one of our medical device gurus. How are you doing today, Brittany? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing well. It's good to see you. And uh, you're one of our newer gurus. Tell us a little bit about your experience. And and I'd be interested to hear how you came to Greenlight Guru too. Yeah. So I've been with Greenlight almost coming up on three months. I think we're right around that two and a half month mark. So I started in September Found Greenlight, I worked, which we'll get into, worked at a medical device company. We used an EQMS, not Greenlight, but I we've done demos and I had heard about Greenlight and I actually used a lot of our free resources for this process mapping initiative that I was a part of. And throughout that, I have a one of my really good friends works here on the marketing team. And so, you know, new Greenlight through her. And so just, I was looking for a new opportunity and it worked out and here I am. So wait a second, you were doing a different EQMS and you were using Greenlight Guru's materials. Is that cheating? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think it's being resourceful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. Well, I'm, regardless of how Greenlight Guru helps people, it's always cool to hear how you know the content helps people. So tell us a little bit about your experience in the field. I think we did an AMA on EUMDR or a roundtable discussion. You were in on that on EUMDR, yes. which is a pretty broad and heavy topic. And you've also done some stuff on UDI. I know you, I actually was talking to the, your marketing friend, is Naomi, is that yes. right? <laughs> yeah. She said, I just feel like I won the referral lottery because I just keep hearing, seeing in Slack, you know, Brittany Smith did this, Brittany Smith did that, warm hugs all around. So pretty cool that you're doing all this stuff. But what are, what are some of the experiences you had in the field as far as the industry related goes? Yeah. So I have only been out of college for three and a half, almost four years, which feels crazy. 
So my degrees in biomedical engineering, which led me to finding a job at a pediatric device company. So I started in 2020, high to COVID. It was super fun when I graduated as well. When I started my career, I actually started in regulatory. So came into the industry as a regulatory coordinator, did about 11 months there. And then there was a transition in my company that I, gave me the opportunity to go into post-market quality, did that for about seven months, and then transitioned back into regulatory It's again, and then transitioned to development engineering. So that kind of feeds into how I have so many areas of expertise with just only three years in the industry itself. So I did things from UDI to FDA, MDR, a lot of remediation, spent a lot of time there, CAPAs, NCs, HHEs, audits. I was in every audit that we were a part of from when I started until I left the company. So audits are my jam. <laughs> I've had, I was very fortunate. There was a lot of changes in the company I was at which could have been, um, you know, was, could have gone two different ways for my career. But I was very lucky that they created opportunities to get to try out a lot of different things. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in regulatory and quality and then even getting into the development engineering side. So I'm very fortunate of all the changes where they led me. And then ultimately, they led me to green light to find a new opportunity. So it was, I think I officially had five different titles <laughs> in just over two and a half years. So... I saw a lot of change. Yeah, that's super cool. I think they used to say it took 10,000 hours to become an expert, but really that's if you're Tiger Woods trying to hit a golf ball. But I think it actually learned, takes about 20 hours to learn a new skill. And if you learn all those different skills, you really start piling on and, uh, and getting some meta learning in. So I think that's really cool that you were able to do that. So what were some of the things that were really a challenge to you during your career? Oh, man, there were some big ones. I think initially one of the things was coming into regulatory was one very different from what my education was in. I mean, not engineers do end up in regulatory a lot, but that wasn't what I had just spent 40 years learning. So and the good thing, too, though, on the flip of that is everyone in regulatory is learning it on the job. There's certifications you can get, but there's not a degree in RA like you can't specifically learn it in college and then go and do it. So that was the good thing is a lot of my coworkers, they had learned what they knew on the job. But because of that, I was forced to learn everything I was doing from what was out there. So, you know, I had great coworkers with a lot of information they would transfer, but a lot of it was just taking the time to research and find out the answers on my own. And I think that's something that really helped me in my career too, because I learned how to be very self-sufficient. And, you know, some people... They are super successful in their careers by, you know, relying on teams. But I think that's something that really helped me is I learned how to find not only the answers, but where to go to find them. And I think that's a big key of you don't always have to have all the answers. You just have to know how to find them. And so it really challenged me to learn, okay, what if I need UDI, where do I go? If I need something about MDR, where do I go? And, you know, even finding out who in the company to go for, for things, mm -hmm. um, I just had to learn that on the job, but it, it ultimately helped me a lot because I know where to find answers. Yeah, that's so cool. And so I want to ask you about something that you said in there, and that was, there's nowhere you can go to get a degree, I guess, in RA and things like that. So, and that's something that's always been interesting to me, not just RA, but whether it's quality assurance or, you know, being a design assurance professional, the one who handles the design controls, whatever, whatever the case may be, there's a lot of different niche areas in medical device because they're specific to medical device that is kind of hard to, uh, 
I don't know, get a degree, get a certification in. What are some of the the resources that you use that really helped you? I mean, you you know where to find things, but what were what could you give? Could you point some people in different directions so that they could find things a little bit easier as well? Yeah, especially because I think you brought up a good point. Like RAQA as a whole, you're going to learn that on the job. Because even if you know, like even if you've had a ton of years of experience in quality engineering, you go to a different company, it's different devices, different things you have to learn. So part of it was a lot of internal resources that the company I was at had. And just, you know, like asking people who were in those roles, like asking a lot of questions. That's the first thing. But in terms of things that I found on my own, when I was in regulatory, it was going to the regulations, going to the standards and attending webinars. That was a big thing. You know, some web, not all webinars are created equally. You will go to some webinars and come out of it. Like I really didn't learn anything new, but then, you know, okay, maybe don't go to that company's webinars. So just, you know, finding there are experts out there. So using their resources. So like, you know, BSI was a big one for me. We worked with BSI. So I used their resources because I wanted to have information relevant to them versus going to a different notified body, which probably has great resources, but may have not transferred over well into whatever we were going through with BSI. But sometimes it was as riveting as it sounds, reading the standards (laughs) and going to, if, if you're trying to be compliant to 1345, you better be looking at 1485 for that information. And again, not the most fun reading, but it's good information to know. And then you feel more confident in your decisions because that's a big challenge of, especially as a young professional, having confidence of, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. So I was a big, like, I didn't want to go out there and just say stuff. And I wasn't afraid to be wrong, but I didn't want to be wrong because I didn't have the right resources. So I wanted to be able to say like, yeah, I looked at the standard and maybe we interpret it different. Let's talk through that. But I wanted to be able to have like the right resources. And sometimes it was just going to the standards. Yeah. And I've heard you say that before. Don't be afraid to actually read the standard. And it took me several more years than maybe it did you in my career to get to that point where I was reading the standards. And I was impressed with your your confidence when you you know come in with whether it's the roundtable. But I think it is based on the fact that you do that due diligence and you've you've read the standards, you've done those things. So, you know, you have the knowledge to back up to to give you that legitimate confidence, which I think is very cool and, and very admirable. It's one of the things I like about you. Also, something you mentioned was knowing who to go to in your company. And there's something that I learned, and maybe you did this intuitively, it sounds like, but knowing those power centers, there's multiple kinds of power centers in a company. So you have power centers or those are the people who make the change happen. So you may not even understand why is that person in the room, but for some reason, people lean on their knowledge, whatever it is. But then there's also power centers of knowledge. You know, it, it, for me, it was always the VP of quality at one one particular company. I'm sure you could come up with some examples like that. But any any thoughts like that? Is that something you experienced? Yeah, on both standpoints too. And I think I didn't put it in, I didn't realize how to describe it until I got to Greenlight. And, you know, we have the social capital philosophy of, you know, like build social capital with your coworkers because you never know when you're going to need each other. And that's what I I did without knowing what it was called of when I first started doing kind of the grunt work and just learning, because that's how you learn, first of all, is doing and just doing the things that nobody else wants to do. You're going to be able to like, I felt like by doing those kind of tasks, I was building that social capital, whoever I was helping out to then I could go to them for knowledge or to help. Like if I had an idea that I wanted to enact change, I knew who to go to. And it was a a big thing of like finding good mentorship because again, I was, I'm very, I'm still very young in my career. And so finding the ways to know who to get knowledge from, 
know who can be a sounding board. That was another valuable resource for me. If somebody then like, I just need to bounce this idea from your experience. Have you seen this? How did it go? And if you haven't seen it, how do you think it would go? And just finding those big, you know, the movers and shakers in all different realms. It's not easy and not everyone can do it. You know, sometimes it's, it is a personality thing and there's still challenges. I was lucky I was at a smaller company. So it was a lot easier to get to know one another and know each other's niches and learn about, you know, what did they do prior to this company? So I was very fortunate in that front. I can't speak at all to what it's like to work at a big company because I've never done that. So uh, <laughs> it's easy when it's small though, and you can just, just get to know your coworkers and then you can kind of learn what people are passionate about and what they want to help you with and then what they can and maybe they don't really love it. So you might have to, you know, like, exchange some social capital there to make sure that you're, you know, mutually helping each other out. I love that social capital concept and you throwing that out there. That's really smart. The other thing I'd say it's because I've worked at big companies, but I've also worked at small companies. And my thought just, you know, I'll just throw this out there is that people are people wherever you go. And instead of focusing on the department or the title, focus on the person and their knowledge. And that will make it a little bit easier, I think, uh, to navigate that, but just, you know, for whatever that's worth. Another question I'm curious about just personally is, did you ever experience someone who maybe due to your your youth or whatever, did, did they lack the respect for your knowledge or did you ever experience anything like that? And how did you handle it? Yes, unfortunately I did. I don't really know if I handled it well, honestly, but the biggest thing was just, I think I had to take myself out of it. Like I had nothing to prove. I was in the job I was for a reason and I could only do what was in my control. So, you know, after letting it get to me a little bit more than I probably should have, it was just kind of this epiphany of like, I can only control what I can control. And I can't remember what celebrity said it, but somebody said like, other people's opinion of yourself is none of your business. Like you really shouldn't know and you don't need to know it. So just live your life. Like you don't know how, what people think of you. And that kind of helped me through that of like, look, it doesn't really matter if they like me or not. I can only do my best work. And, you know, eventually they may come around and if they don't, that's okay. But I think definitely that it's just a challenge of, I don't think any company is immune to it. I have been extremely fortunate at Greenlight. And one of the reasons I love it of, I have not felt that at all. And I think everyone here has a chance to thrive no matter where they're at in their career. But I know it's very common in the industry. It's just, I don't really know how you avoid it, but it's just not letting it get to you and just doing what you can control because at the end of the day, that's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good answer. Okay. So you've mentioned Greenlight Guru a couple of times, and I want to ask about this. So being a medical device guru, to you, what is a medical device guru? And what is it that you do? What's kind of the day-to-day job of a medical device guru? Yeah. So we, on our team, we kind of have like two buckets of gurus. All of us come from industry. So all of us have industry experience and we all have very different industry experience. So I kind of see it as the team I'm on, I'm in charge of onboarding and implementation. So when a customer comes to Greenlight and they decide that they want to use us as their QMS provider, myself and my team, we are the individuals that will take you through your training. There's somebody explaining it really well. Like when you're on the machine line, there's somebody that comes in and trains you how to do that. And then you go and you're the expert of your own QMS. That's kind of what we're doing is you come in, we train you how to use the software. We teach you all we know. You, we help you like handhold through that implementation. And then you're off to the races. And then there's the other side of the house, which are our strategic gurus. And they're the ones that once you've been onboarded and implemented your QMS, they'll help you through 
not to use their name, but the strategic side of your company. So, you know, maybe you need help setting up a project. Maybe you need help getting audit ready. They just help you for more of that continued support throughout your life cycle with the QMS with Greenlight. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And and it, I guess there's always the other little things that that you guys do, like write articles, participate in those Ask Me Anything sessions, moderate webinars. Those are the, the things that we don't think about as much, but I guess that's what they, anyone outside the company might see you doing a little bit more, but very cool stuff that, that the medical device gurus get to do. Yeah, I think we're very fortunate. We get to do a lot with the customers, but also internally, because we, you know, we are the the SMEs on the industry. So we have a lot of in, in opportunities internally, as well as customer facing, which is one of the things that I didn't even realize the magnitude when I, you know, first started. But it's like one of my favorite things of all of the different opportunities that we do get being med device gurus. Yeah. So being the five different titles that you've had in the the several years that you've been in the industry and now being a medical device guru i just feel like your you just your career is awesome and i'm excited to watch it what would be like your ultimate goal do you even have like an ultimate goal whether it's 5 10 20 years down the road do you have any of those laid out oh goodness i feel like i do <laughs> but it's totally changed now if you would have asked me before i left my last company you know i'm I would love to manage people. And I think that still is, you know, a a goal of mine. I think I, you know, have really good skill sets that I could bring to a team. And I think the biggest thing is I've had really influential managers. I mean, I was lucky to have really good managers at my last company and, you know, they helped shape some of the aspects of my career. And so like, I would love to be that to somebody else. I don't know if that looks like just a manager of a team I don't think I ever want to be like a CEO type leader, but who knows in 20 years, maybe I think I've been very fortunate to have all the opportunities I've had so far that most individuals, you know, only three years into their career have. So I I feel like I have a lot of options and I just don't really know, don't really know what it even looks like. But I think the the simplest answer is I love to manage people. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. That's really cool. And I don't know how I'd even answer that question either. It's like, you know, sometimes you're still climbing a mountain. You can't see the other side just yet. So, okay. So being a medical device guru and you work with a lot of new customers who may be, maybe this is their first time implementing an EQMS. Maybe it's, maybe they're, they've moved over. Maybe they don't have a QMS at all. What are some common things that you see as pitfalls, maybe people getting into or, and maybe even recommendations to accelerate their implementation. Yeah. And this is stealing some from the team because we were just asked this question, but I think a lot of it comes from one documenting everything. The FDA says, if you didn't document it, it didn't happen. And that's so true. Like a lot of pitfalls I've seen is tribal knowledge and thinking that that will carry you through your company's career. Turnover happens, people leave, people come. And if you don't have that documented, when that person leaves, you may not have access to them anymore. And it's kind of like going to ground zero. So having the good documentation practices from the get-go, I think overall helps you get that culture of quality. And I think there's a big difference between quality and compliance. Compliance is just getting through the next audit, crossing the boxes, where a culture of quality, it bleeds through every department. And that's a big challenge. I think Greenlight does a fantastic job. I mean, that's one of our core values is true quality. So we do a great job of that. But I've seen, you know, when it's you're challenging that some people want the true quality 
some people want just compliance. When you think like quality is not just on your quality department. And I'm very passionate about that because of, you know, I spent a lot of time in RAQA and just hearing stories from coworkers of, you know, I only worked for one company before this, but I had a lot of coworkers who worked multiple places. And there's a pretty common theme in the industry that the responsibility falls on that RAQA team, but it's really everyone's responsibility in the company. So I think people who are new in their journey have this unique opportunity to start from the get-go, where it's really hard to change that when you're years and years down the line. And you may have some people that have been there from the beginning and they're very strong, like, nope, that's the quality team's responsibility. So the earlier you can build that, the better. And it's, you know, things as simple as just thinking about things earlier, not just thinking about what do we have to do bare minimum? Like, how do we actually make sure that we're audit ready all the time, not just ready for an audit when we know they're coming? Yeah. You said something kind of early on about uh, documenting everything. Can you give me an example of something that people don't think to document? Uh, Do any examples come to mind for that? A big thing I think about when it comes to changes, not fully assessing what every, like, so change orders. You can, where I live, where I came from, we did it for mainly like design changes or like big process changes when it came to the development size. We didn't really think through like, Do we need to do a change order when there's procedures that are being updated that may not impact design and development, but may impact something else? So thinking about change, not just in a vacuum, thinking of it like the impact of change is so critical. And a lot of times, if you don't fully assess that change and the impact, you may miss something. And then, you know, God forbid you have a quality event down the line where you could have avoided it. Um, And, you know, mistakes happen. Human error is a real thing. But just not doing things in a vacuum of thinking like, oh, this change will only impact this like this one small thing. And then when you look at it later, like, oh, wow, we didn't even think about this because we didn't think we needed to document the change. We just made the change. So it's that was the biggest thing I saw is not always documenting why and the impact to a change because it's fine. It's a small, easy change. I think that's a, a common assumption and mistake of just like, oh, we did that a while ago. We didn't have to document anything. We're good. But regulations change. The industry is constantly changing. So even if you did it like six months ago and there were impacts, it's still important to judge, like, okay, what, what impact does it have now? Because again, I just saw an article that this, that Switzerland has completely changed. They're compliant. They're going to accept FDA if it passes. So it's like that just came out yesterday. And I feel like six months ago, there was a new update from Swiss that didn't include that. So... Yeah. Staying on top of all those things is tough. And I would just add on a little bit to your change orders uh, example. And that is like justification. You know, I remember some manufacturing engineers there, a change order would come through and the justification was simply manufacturability (laughs) and like, okay, we're going to break the edge on an anodized part because of manufacturability. That sounds maybe okay, but maybe not, you know, and we haven't really fully vetted that out. So yeah, I can definitely think of a few things along the same lines. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. I've seen some, some questionable justifications and I'm like, I don't really know how I'm supposed to assess this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's always tough. So what are some, I'm curious if you get any typical questions or, or like when I say typical, like questions that are consistent across, across different customers, any questions that you consistently see or hear, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I just started taking customers. So I haven't heard a ton myself, but I've, seen a lot like about risk. One of the things being like, 
risk can wait. We don't need to work. Like we don't need to think about it until we're like almost ready with our prototype. And I think that's like, you can be thinking about risk from the get-go because when you're designing something, you're going to know some of the innate risks just by like the type of the device you're making. So think about risk early and often because, you know, at the end of the day, like all of the companies were trying to make something that's going to help patients, whether that's, you know, a device, whether that's, you know, an IVD test or, you know, whatever it is, whatever you're trying to help or cure, think about risk earlier because it's going to save yourself a lot of time from the back end. And then the kind of going in hand with quality processes of, I hear a lot like, oh, we don't need to worry about our quality processes. Like we are ways away from being like releasing to market. And I think that's another thing. It's really good. You think about it early because it's the earlier you start documenting those issues you're having, the easier it's going to be to trend in the long run and also save yourself time five years from now where, you know, maybe you didn't think about a certain aspect of your quality processes, then you had a major finding or even just a minor finding. And then you're spending so much time remediating all those five years of documentation. So those big things that people tend to think like, we don't need to worry about that now. I would suggest think about those things. You may not have to document anything yet. You just might be, you know, brainstorming with the team, but the sooner, the easier it's going to be for you in the long run. Yeah. Okay. That's really good advice. So Another question I have, and this might be one of the last questions. I don't know. I'll have to just see if you have any other suggestions or or thoughts. But when new employees get onboarded, then they see all the different departments and like finance talk to them about how we do finance and and so forth. And I, I hope I'm not like revealing too much about our onboarding process. But anyway, one of the things that you see when you learn about the guru side or the uh, the customer success and gurus is uh, you get to meet each guru as far as like there's a PowerPoint that says this is their experience. This is where they worked or whatever. And, and uh, these are some other things that are non-industry about them. What are some of the things I don't remember looking at yours? Do you, do you have any non-industry tidbits that you'd like to share about yourself? Yes. One of which he did, he made an appearance. I have a dog. He's a <laughs> 52 pound mini golden doodle. So there's nothing mini about him. I've had him for two and a half years. So he's one of my fun facts. He makes an appearance in a lot of my calls as well. So if anyone listening ends up being one of my customers, you likely will see my dog Ford. <laughs> I'm a new aunt. So I have a nephew. He is. Congratulations. Thank you. He is two months. Um, he is so sweet. And then um, like a super random fun fact is I'm becoming a pure bar instructor. So oh. I'm one of the, one of the members on the team that's a fitness instructor. So if you're ever in the Fort Wayne area and you want to take Pure Bar, I'm your girl. <laughs> all right, all right, and then we can always do ta- you know Taylor Brown's uh, uh, fitness class right, afterwards. Cool, yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Well, very cool. Any other thoughts or recommendations you have for customers or something you want to throw out there? This is a good conversation. I'm excited to have future conversations with you. Yeah, I think the big thing is just have grace with yourself. This industry is tough. There's a lot to learn and a lot to like opportunities for growth and improvement. So, you know, if you feel like we've gotten everything perfectly figured out, I would challenge you maybe dig deeper, see what you can, you know, improve about either your company or your device, but just have grace. It's, it's a tough, a tough industry to be in. So, but just, you know, keeping your why at the front, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Everyone in this industry has a really good mission. That's why you go into med device. So just hold on to that because the days are long, the work is hard, but (laughs) 
there's a great outcome at the end. So just keeping that in the forefront. Absolutely. So good. Thank you so much, Brittany. I appreciate you uh, coming on the show and, you know, I'll put your link in the show notes so that people can find you on LinkedIn and reach out to you if they have any uh, you know, other things to talk to you about. But thank you so much. Those of you who've been listening, you've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, reach out to Brittany on LinkedIn and let her know. We'll put a link in the show notes to make it a little bit easier to find her. Also, I'd personally love to hear from you on LinkedIn. If you'd like to reach out, love to hear any feedback you may have for us. Also, you can learn about what we do at greenlight.guru. If you go to www.greenlight.guru, we build software for medical device companies that lets you focus on what you do best, make and market your product. On top of that, we've built a community where you can go to join the conversation, learn more about the things we just discuss on the podcast, or learn about other industry topics, community.greenlight.guru or academy.greenlight.guru. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode or enjoyed any of the podcasts, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It helps others find us. It helps us know how we're doing. Thanks again. Take care. Until next time. The best medical device companies don't just follow the rules. They lead with quality. At Greenlight Guru, we try to do the same. Our medical device success platform is based on the latest FDA and ISO standards, as well as the best practices of medical device manufacturers who lead the industry with products of the highest quality. If you're ready to bring safer, better medical devices to market faster, contact greenlight.guru today.